In the southern part of Texas, in the town of San Antonio, is a fortress all in ruins that the weeds have overgrown. You may look in vain for crosses and you'll never see a one But sometimes between the setting and the rising of the sun You can hear a ghostly bugle as the men go marching by You can hear them as the answer to that roll call in the sky Colonel Travis, Davy Crockett and 180 more Captain Dickinson, Jim Bowie, present and accounted for Back in 1836, Houston said to Travis, Get some volunteers and go fortify the Alamo. Well, the men came from Texas and from old Tennessee, and they joined up with Travis just to fight for the right to be free. Indian scouts with squirrel guns, men with muzzle loaders, stood together heel and toe. To defend the Alamo, you may ne'er see your loved ones, Travis told them that day. Those who want to can leave now, those who fight to the death, let them stay. In the sand he drew a line with his army saber. Out of 185, not a soldier crossed the line with his banners a-dancing in the dawn's golden light. Santa Anna came prancing on a horse that was black as the night. Sent an officer to tell Travis to surrender. Travis answered with a shell and a rousing rebel yell. Santa Anna turned scarlet, played to Quelo, he roared. I will show them no quarter, everyone will be put to the sword. 185 holding back 5,000. Five days, six days, eight days, ten Travis held and held again Then he sent for replacements For his wounded and lame But the troops that were coming Never came, never came, never came Twice he charged, then blew recall On the fatal third time Santa Anna breached the wall And he killed them one and all Now the bugles are silent And there's rust on each sword And the small band of soldiers Lie asleep in the arms of the Lord Good evening, friends, and welcome to another incredible Incredible in the southern episode part of, of Texas, near the town of San Antonio, like a statue on his if that song doesn't tell you where we're grazing, headed, where a century it's the one I've been promising to research on. And the this is going to, to be a show about the greatest American his heart generals to glow, of and all he takes time. His hat off uh, America's free, or we once to were. The men I don't know where we're exactly Alamo. headed these days with our fucked up. Let's go, to the thirteen days shit. of glory. Um, so you're not going to see someone like General Milley the on the fucking Alamo. Mark Milley. He's he certainly did not make the list. I mean, that was. I mean, did you see the withdrawal from Afghanistan? How is that still not even relevant? And the media can just push that aside as a small, small story. And, you know, fucking droning and killing fucking innocent civilians, leaving billions upon billions upon billions of of war, sophisticated war equipment that you know, you know damn well that equipment will be used against our 
children and our grandchildren in the future. This is, this is sophisticated war equipment that was just abandoned and get let, got let to be taken over by the Taliban. We're in a sad state of affairs when it comes to where we are uh, as a society, probably the greatest military force that ever existed until now. Uh, I really firmly believe that. I think China is surpassing us. And uh, I think we're in for a load of, load of hurt if we don't wake the fuck up. That's my 100% true thoughts on that. I think we're in a lot, a lot of trouble. And it scares me. Thankfully, I'm getting old enough. Or I guess it just doesn't matter anymore. But we have children and grandchildren are supposed to be leaving this great nation too. And it's a sissified, sissified nation. Look, I don't care what you do with your own gen genitals and and stuff like that. But we now have a an admiral, uh, Rachel Levine, who even knows what his real name is, the transgender. I, d I don't really care. I mean, we're sissifying a nation. We're more important. We feel much more of a need to feel woke as a society. I don't even think as a society, I think they are just louder uh, with their woke fucking bullshit cries and shove the shit down the throat while China is banning like feminine men on their television. I mean, there's a difference here. What's going on with the two societies. Um, and it's scary. It's a real scary proposition where we could be headed in the future. That opening song uh, was by Marty Robbins. It's called The Ballad of the Alamo. And one of, uh, it shows the resolve of Americans when we come together. I mean, they held the Alamo with 100, 150, 160 soldiers versus 5,000 from the Mexican uh, General Santa Ana. And they held for uh, 10 days, you know. It's pretty impressive, the resolve that they had. And uh, thankfully, uh, Sam Houston ended up uh, defeating Santa Ana and exacted some revenge for what happened at the Alamo. Now, all this leads into the glory of what generals can be and how great, you know, the, the might of the U.S. Army is. So this is the one I've been, this is the podcast I've been taking a little while before I did. And cause I really wanted to get it right. And I wanted to, uh, showcase the top five generals that our country has ever seen. And so I wrote up basically a summary and I'm going to go through each summary of each one and, uh, just give you a little history lesson because uh, most of my shows are lighthearted. We all know that. I do a lot of pop culture and other stuff. But every once in a while, I do like to throw you guys for a loop and let you understand uh, a little bit of history. If you haven't heard uh, one of my previous shows, go back and listen to uh, the greatest cowboys or, you know, back in the Wild West days that aren't known, not the Billy the Kids and not the Wyatt Earps or Doc Holliday's or Jesse James, a lot of. A lot of true cowboys that lived it during those times that a lot of people have never heard of. That's another interesting show. And every once in a while, I like to throw you guys one of these 
educational historic lessons because I think if we don't understand history, we're going to repeat it. It's fact upon fact. We are slowly turning into a socialist uh, country, which is the lowest form of communism, and it's exactly where we're headed. I mean, we're at the point now where you can cross our borders illegally and separated from your family because you're crossing illegally, and the American government wants to give you $450,000, right? I mean, I average sixty grand a year. Huh. So I get to work eight years to make what they did for crossing our borders illegally. We have homeless veterans all over this country with no housing, you know, starving, you know, with PTSD and don't know how to get ahead in life. And illegal aliens can come across the border and get $450,000. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's a travesty. What about the people that are coming to this country the proper way through the proper channels? I'd much rather give them the 450000 to get them jump-started in their life in America, I don't, although I don't think they should be granted that either. However, but if we're going to give it to somebody, why aren't we giving it to the people that are coming to this country through the proper channels? This isn't an open border. It's a it's a travesty what's going on. What's it's it's sad and the more you reward and if America is such a bad country and we're so racist and we're so sexist and we're so evil, why are they flocking flocking here? It's for the free it's for freedom, what we once stood for. And I, I really hope someday we wake up as a whole and can understand that freedom doesn't come free. And this is going to be a celebration of, of the greatest generals, uh, ones that stamped their names in history for help, for helping to create the once greatest society that uh, the world has ever seen, the freest society that the world had ever seen. And unfortunately, I feel as if we're reverting back to that. So, I I don't know where to get started. I think I think we have to open it up. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys a little treat. I'm gonna get myself a beer before I settle in because I want to get my notes all squared away. And here's a little scene from the movie Full Metal Jacket, and this is. Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, uh, basically introducing himself to uh, to the new recruits. Here you go, and I'll be right back to start on the list. I am Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, your senior drill instructor. From now on, you will speak only when spoken to, and the first and last words out of your filthy sewers will be, sir. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, sir yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sound off like you got a pair. If you ladies leave my island, if you survive recruit training, you will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. But until that day, you are pukes. You are the lowest form of life on earth. You are not even human fucking beings. 
You are nothing but unorganized, grabastic pieces of amphibian shit. Because I am hard, you will not like me. But the more you hate me, the more you will learn. I am hard, but I am fair. There is no racial bigotry here. I do not look down on niggers, kites, wops, or greasers. Here you are all equally worthless. And my orders are to weed out all non-hackers who do not pack the gear to serve in my beloved car. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sir, yes, sir. What's your name, scumbag? Sir, Private Brown, sir. Bullshit, from now on, you're Private Snowball. Do you like that name? Sir, yes, sir. Well, there's one thing that you won't like, Private Snowball. They don't serve fried chicken and watermelon on a daily basis in my mess hall. Sir, yes, sir! That you, John Wayne? Is this me? Who said that? Who the fuck said that? Who's the slimy little communist shit twinkle toad cocksucker down here who just signed his own death warrant? Nobody, huh? The very fucking godmother said it. I'm fucking standing. I will PT you all until you fucking die. I'll PT you until your assholes are sucking buttermilk. Was it you, you scroungy little fuck, huh? Sir, no, sir. You little piece of shit, you look like a fucking worm. I bet it was you. Sir, no, sir. Sir, I said it, sir. Well, no shit. What have we got here? A fucking comedian, private joker. I admire your honesty. Hell, I like you. You can come over to my house and fuck my sister. <clears throat> you little scumbag. I got your name. I got your ass. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Now get up. Get on your feet. You had best unfuck yourself or I will unscrew your head and shit down your neck. Sir, yes, sir. Private Joker, why did you join my beloved corps? Sir, to kill, sir. So you're a killer. Sir, yes, sir. Let me see your war face. Sir. You got a war face? Ah! That's a war face. Now let me see your war face. Ah! Bullshit! You didn't convince me! Let me see your real war face! Ah! You don't scare me! Work on it! Sir, yes, sir! What's your excuse? Sir, excuse for what, sir? I'm asking the fucking questions here, Private. Do you understand? Sir, yes, sir! Well, thank you very much. Can I be in charge for a while? Sir, yes, sir! Are you shook up? Are you nervous? Sir, I am, sir! Do I make you nervous? Sir! Sir, what? Are you about to call me an asshole? Sir, no, sir! How tall are you, Private? Sir, five foot nine, sir! Five foot nine? I didn't know they stacked shit that high. You trying to squeeze an inch in on me somewhere, huh? Sir, no, sir! Bullshit, it looks to me like the best part of you ran down to crack your mama's ass and ended up as a brown stain on the mattress. I think you've been cheated. Where in hell are you from anyway, Private? Sir, Texas, sir! Holy dog shit! Texas, only steers and queers come from Texas, private cowboy! And you don't much look like a steer to me, so that kind of narrows it down. Do you suck dicks? Sir, no, sir! Are you a Peter Pupper? Sir, no, sir! I bet you're the kind of guy that would fuck a person in the ass and not even have the goddamn common courtesy to give him a reach around. I'll be watching you. <laughs> that is just an unbelievable opening scene to that movie. It's from the movie Full Metal Jacket. One of Stanley Kubrick's uh, best ever that he, that he ever produced. Uh, so yeah, what a what an intro into the top five generals of all time. And bear with me, uh, I wanted to take notes and do this properly to give them the proper uh, introduction and just a little brief history 
of who they were and what, why they made the list. Um, there's no Oliver North on here, although he wasn't that bad. Uh, but, you know, we're going to get into the best of the best. I didn't even include Sherman, so that was, it was tight to get into the top five. Um, and there, there's no newbies on here. I think, I think before World War II, I think is the latest of any of the, uh, any of the generals on the list. So let's just get started. Let's jump right into it. Coming in at our number five today is a former president of the United States. But before that, he was a general. The one and only Ulysses S. Grant. Um, and let me just go through and read my summary from each uh, and every one. Uh, he, working as a clerk at his father's leather goods store in Galena, Illinois, and struggling to obtain a commission upon the outbreak of the American Civil War in 1861, uh, Ulysses, Ulysses S. Grant rose to him improbable heights, eventually being named General-in-Chief of the Armies of the United States with over a million men under his command and masterminding the uh, Union's ultimate victory over the Confederacy. A graduate of West Point and a veteran of the Mexican-American War, Grant resigned from the Army in 1854 and struggled mightily in life over the, the years after the nation split. Despite the challenges, he was not a man who turned back when things got tough or when facing crushing adversity, two of the many qualities that helped Grant excel across many of the Civil War's most significant battlefields. When the call for volunteers to defend the Union came, Grant immediately stood up to do his duty. Even with his experience, he initially struggled to obtain a commission, but after proving himself as he drilled and mustered in new recruits, he got his chance. He, appointed, he was appointed Colonel of the 21st Illinois Infantry in June 1861, and Grant was quickly promoted to Brigadier General of the, uh, the following month. When the war really started to get going in 1862, and the Union was looking for a man who would fight, Grant uh, became the champion of the North. In 1862, February, Grant uh, conquered Fort Henry and Donaldson in western Tennessee, earning the nickname Unconditional Surrenderer. Grant, and uh, delivering the Union's first major victories of the war, uh, later that April, he averted what might have been a catastrophic blow to the Union by not buckling under pressure and snatching victory from the jaws of defeat at the bloody Battle of Shiloh. Grant went on to conduct what many considered to be not only the most masterfully executed campaign of the Civil War, but also one of the greatest campaigns in history. As described by his trusted subordinate, William Sherman, uh, in July of 1863, after months of navigating treacherous waterways, fighting and winning several battleways, uh, battles, and orchestrating a 47-day siege, Grant crapped, uh, captured the mighty Mississippi River fortress of Vicksburg. His victory secured unimpeded access to the Mississippi River for the Union, which inflicted a fatal blow to the enemy by afflict, uh, effectively splitting the Confederacy into two, two different factions. After Grant rescued the Union Army of the Cumberland and defeated Confederate General Braxton Bragg, uh, Army at Chattanooga, Tennessee, Abraham Lincoln brought him to Washington and placed him in total command of all the federal forces, and that was in March of 1864. As Union General-in-Chief, Grant guided the Army of the Potomac 
to victory through some of the fiercest clashes of the war against Robert E. Lee's mighty Army of Northern Virginia. His relentless pressure ultimately uh, compelled the Confederacy's best commander to surrender in April of 1865. Always looking at the war in terms of grand strategy, Grant also directed the war-winning movements of federal forces operating far and wide across the war-torn nation. Facing every uh, condition imaginable during the conflict, Grant showed he could lead and win through it all. As a great general of our time, uh, General Petraeus has immediately declared he was near genius as a tactical leader, an operational leader, and a strategic leader. Through his vision, dedication, courage, and many more positive traits, Grant saved the Union. Sherman put it best when he said, if the name of Washington is allied, uh, is allied with the birth of our country, that of Grant is forever identified with its preservation. And I think that gives a good summary of what Grant did. Being the commander of the Union forces during the Civil War really implants him on the map. Uh, the reason he's not a little bit higher on, on here is what he did was he executed the strategy of someone that's a little bit higher on the list. Now, that shouldn't take away because he was against the number four on the list. And without, I, I think that's why he is number four. Um, but he, he wasn't using his original plan. That's the only thing I could take away from him. But, I mean, to defeat Robert E. Lee and take home the victory for the Union and help propel us into a much better nation, you know, uh, post-Civil War, we are a much greater nation afterwards. And for that, we owe a ton of credit to the one and only Ulysses S. Grant coming in at our number five spot on the list, which brings us to number four and they will always be synonymous with each other i mean that's the civil war it's the bloodiest conflict it, i mean just um, it's it's sad to really really think about that it came to this and we can all look at the history and understand why it came to this but americans killing americans that's that's a hard hard part to think about but they proved to be such effective leaders. And Robert E. Lee coming in at number four, if he had been born in a different time, say he was around in World War I or the Revolutionary War, uh, he could be ranked even higher. I mean, maybe if he would have been born and lived uh, through the Revolutionary War, maybe maybe he, he could rank number one. But he didn't, and he could only, you know, survive and live through his time, and he comes in at our number four, and I'll give you my briefs little write-up over Robert E. Lee, the commanding general of the Confederate Army. Sorry, I had to take a sit there. All right. And light up a quick smoke it's pretty intense man when you start thinking about 
these generals and what they did and how they helped shape America. So, over his four years at the United States Military Academy, Lee, uh, he did not incur a single demerit. Graduating second in his class at West Point in 1829, as the chief engineer of General Winifred Scott's staff during the Mexican-American War, Lee performed so superbly that his commander deemed him the very best overall soldier that he had ever seen in the field. Although offered command of the Federal forces being raced to quell the Southern Rebellion at the beginning of the Civil War, see that he was offered the command, you know, he <laughs> they wanted him to lead the, the Union Army, okay? In 1861, Lee could not bring himself to accept the job. When Virginia seceded from the Union on April 17, uh, he made the most difficult decision of his life, unable to draw his sword against his native state. And, and that was a thing back then. The states were almost more powerful than the federal government at the time. You were more loyal to your state. Uh, Lee had wrote, With all my devotion to the Union, in the feeling of loyalty and duty of an American citizen, I have not been able to raise my hand against my relatives, my children, my home. I have therefore resigned my commission in the Army. After accepting a general's commission in the newly formed Confederate Army, he had a frustrating start to the war, but his rise to legend came when it mattered most. With the enemy pressing up upon the gates of the uh, Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia in 1862, June, Lee was called upon to save the day. Uh, Confederate General Joseph E. Johnston wounded, Lee was given command of his embattled army, and over a series of bloody engagements, he managed to foil the Union drive towards Richmond. Renaming his command the Army of Northern Virginia, Lee and his soldiers developed a sacred bond, becoming one of the stoutest fighting forces in American history. Although his army uh, was nearly always outnumbered and faced innumerable hardships, Lee and his men achieved stunning successes across many of the war's major battlefields. It was beyond all wonder, wrote a Union officer at the bloodiest one-day battle of the war at Sharpsburg, Maryland in 1862. How such men as the rebel troops can fight as they do, that filthy, sick, hungry, and miserable they should, be, they should prove such heroes in fight is past explanation, he also wrote. Two times during the bloody uh, four-year struggle, Lee and his army invaded the North and nearly attained war-winning victories. In Lee's greatest triumph at Chancellorville, Virginia, in 1863, he overcame being outnumbered by more than two to one, divided his army three times, and launched a series of crushing flank and frontal attacks that overwhelmed the enemy. Even after suffering his greatest defeat of the war at the crossroads of Gettysburg in 1863, Lee and his men tenaciously fought for another two years. With his army grinded down and cut off from escape, Lee ultimately surrendered to Union General-in-Chief Ulysses S. Grant at, uh, at the uh, Apotomax Courthouse in Virginia, and that was in April of 1865. Although he ended up on the losing side of the war, the victories Lee achieved and the challenges he operated under distinguished him as one of America's greatest generals. His soldiers proved that they would follow their leader anywhere and endure every hardship for him. After all, there is a reason why the Pulitzer Prize winning author, Michael Sharrah, and many others consider Lee perhaps the most beloved general in any American war. That's my little sum up of Lee. Uh, and I think that's why he ranks just, even though he lost the war, 
and thank God for that. Uh, he was always outnumbered, and they were always underdogs, and he just kept pressuring him. It's because of the love that his soldiers had for him. They adored him, and they fought for him no matter no matter the, the hardships or, or what they were up against. I mean, the, the Union did an impeccable job with their overall strategy, which I'll, I'll get into later if, you don't, if you've never researched the Civil War. Um, and it, they really took advantage of their strengths, and their strategy was much better. But in order for someone like Lee to really give uh, the South a fighting, the Confederates a fighting chance, uh, it it's what propels him just ahead of Grant on this list. And some people in modern day, because they're all woke now, will be like, oh, tear down his statues. He's, he's a racist. No. I mean, stop it. Stop it. The Northerners owned slaves too, even during the Civil War. Uh, Lee fought for his home state. And I, it was a different time and different reasons for doing certain things back in the day. And we, we all know slavery is wrong. We all know that the Irish were enslaved. Or do we all? But yeah, they were slaves as well. But we don't hear about that. The, the point of the matter is this man took strategy and... And the adoration of of his soldiers to the next level, and it's what propels him to number four on our list. There it is. We move on to the top top three, and I think these three. Um, I don't even think it's that close. I I, I think these three separated themselves over over every other general in American history. And when I said I'd get back to how the Union won, here's why. Coming in at number three is Winfield Scott. You hear that? Winfield Scott. Do, do you, ah, that's the thing. You guys have all heard of Grant, and you guys have all heard of Lee. But have you heard of Winfield Scott? Well, let me tell you about him. Uh, for 53 years of his 79 years, uh, Winfield Scott wore the uniform of a soldier. He spent 47 of those years as a general, serving in the rank longer than any other individual in American uh, history. Over his long life of service, Scott distinguished himself as a warrior for the ages across three different wars. The War of 1812, the Mexican-American War, and the Civil War. Scott's talent for military leadership was unleashed during the War of 1812, a conflict in which he proved himself fearless on the battlefield, a superb organizer, and skilled at turning volunteers into crack soldiers. Nicknamed Old Fuss and Feathers for his sharp dress and discipline, he used his eye for precision to help mold the U.S. Army into a more professional force in the years after the war. He truly made his name during the Mexican-American War as the commanding general of the United States Army. He executed the largest amphibious 
landing in American history in March of 1847, a feat that stood unsurpassed until World War II. He put 10,000 strong uh, ashore to the south of the fortified Mexican city of Veracruz, and after capturing Veracruz, Scott cut loose from his coastal base and set out for Mexico City, leading his small force across the nearly 250 miles of treacherous terrain, living off the land and prevailing over Mexican forces in several battles along the way until he reached the capital. Six months after launching his campaign, the Stars and Stripes were raised over the halls of Montezuma and Mexico City. Admiring Scott's daring and highly successful campaign from afar, the legendary Duke of Wellington anointed him the greatest living soldier. When the American Civil War broke out in April of 1861, Scott was 74 years old, uh, failing health, but he, re he remained the commanding general of the U.S. Army. Although his native state of Virginia ultimately seceded from the Union, he remained a faithful uh, to the Stars and Stripes. Under pressure, Scott resigned his post in November, making way for the younger George McClellan. But his impact in guiding the Northern War effort during the opening months of the war was vital to the Union's ultimate victory. Nicknamed the Anaconda Plan. This is what I was going to tell you about. This is the plan that Ulysses ended up using. Scott's grand strategy to win the war aimed to strangle the Confederate economy and divide the states in rebellion by blockading southern seaports and gaining control of the Mississippi River. It was a strategy that took time to unfold, but one did uh, ultimately prove effective in bringing about the demise of the Confederacy. There is a reason why Winfield Scott served as a general longer than any other uh, person in American history. It was professionalism, his ability to fight, formulate grand strategies, train troops, and more clearly, mark him as a general of the ages. Winfield Scott. And yes, all I mean, his in his younger years, uh, the War of 1812, and the invasion of of uh, the, in the Mexican American War, where he, you know he captured Mexico City, but the Anaconda Plan is what was implemented that helped the the uh, the North, the Union troops, to ultimately attain victory, and that that was half the problem for the for the Confederates. They they were low on supplies, they were starving, hungry. He blockaded the seaports. And gaining control of the Mississippi River, um, it helped create a division. So ultimately, I mean, it, it's a lot different strategy. I think, it, I dare say, much harder to be a general in older times because the communications not as fast today. You can just email <laughs> or whatever it takes to get, uh, you know, the strategy. It's instantaneous. I mean, you're trying to command total forces of an army and you have to send fucking messages. I mean, you could be hundreds and upon hundreds of miles apart and you get a horse to get there. So this plan was enacted in the early months of, of the civil war. And it was his idea that led to the ultimate victory for the union. And thank you, Mr. Scott for doing that. Um, because America wouldn't be the same if the uh, if the South had won. 
So that is our five, four, and three. Ulysses S. Grant, Robert E. Lee, and Winfield Scott. Let me take a quick break, come back to you, and we'll reveal the final two. Here's a little tribute to American Soldiers by Toby Keith. I'm just trying to be a father, raise a daughter and a son, be a lover to their mother, everything to everyone. Up and at them bright and early, I'm all business in my suit. Yeah, I'm dressed up for success, from my head down to my boots. I don't do it for the money, there's bills that I can't pay. I don't do it for the glory, I just do it anyway. Providing for our futures, my responsibility. Yeah, I'm real good under pressure, being all that I can be. I can't call in sick on Mondays when the weekend's been too strong. I just work straight through the holidays, sometimes all night long. You can bet that I stand ready when the wolf growls at the door. Hey, I'm solid. Hey, I'm steady. Hey, I'm true down to the core. I will always do my duty No matter what the price I've counted up the cost I know the sacrifice Oh, and I don't want to die for you But if dying's asking me I'll bear that cross with honor Cause freedom don't come free I'm an American soldier An American Beside my and my sisters, I will proudly take a stand When liberty's in jeopardy, I will always do what's right I'm out here on the front lines, sleep in peace tonight American soldier I do love that song. I really think it uh, it's a great, great tribute uh, for all the sacrifices that our soldiers make for us to live in the land of the free. So thank you for that, Toby Keith, but thank you more for every single soldier that has, has served and uh, honored all of us everyday Americans by serving this country. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That moves us into our top two. And I think, I think people would have been, of all ages, would have been proud to serve under, under this general. Very, very controversial. Uh, they even had a, basically a smear campaign against him. Uh, but without a doubt, he was the deciding factor in World War II, 100%. Let's all celebrate the good, old, hard-ass George S. Patton. He was nicknamed 
old blood and guts. George Patton was truly in his element on the battlefield. With his family's long line of military service, dating back to the American Revolution, the Mexican-American War, and the Civil War, Patton was born to be a soldier. In fact, as a believer in reincarnation, he was convinced that he had been a soldier in previous lives. As a Roman legionnaire, a marshal for the legendary Napoleon Bonaparte, and and, and many more, he thought he just thought he came from a long line of soldiers. He believed in reincarnation. He was a graduate of uh, West Point. Patton went on to dis- distinguish himself as one of the most innovative, hard-fighting, and fast-moving commanders in history. In 1917, the United States entered the First World War, and Patton set foot on the bloody battlefields of Europe with the American Expeditionary Force. The previous year, he had proven himself in the first uh, in his first taste of combat during a military expedition to Mexico. During that 11-month campaign, Patton helped lead the first motorized attack in American military history. First, as the first officer assigned to the newly established Tanks Division uh, during World War I, he continued to display a talent for maximizing new technology on the battlefield. Uh, like the Battle of Cambrai in France, where Patton's skill contributed to the Allied's victory in the world's first major tank battle. In the Great War, World War II, Patton had been a young and uh, World War One. Uh, Patton had been a young officer, but by the time he reached, uh, by the time the United States was committed to the Second World War, that was like 23, 24 years later, he was a general. And he had the knowledge and experience his country needed. From the time he set foot in North Africa in November 1942 to uh, the final defeat of Nazi Germany in 45, Patton lived by his philosophy of war. We shall attack and attack until we are exhausted, and then we shall attack again. It was a credo that served him and the Allies very, very well. After suffering a series of setbacks in North Africa, the general Dwight Eisenhower called upon Patton, had to, had to call in Patton to help out, turn America's uh, troubling military situation around, and he did just that, resurrecting American fortunes and inspiring confidence throughout victory. Following North Africa, uh, Patton commanded the U.S. 7th Army in a successful invasion of Sicily in 1943. He led his U.S. Uh, 3rd Army as it raced across northern France in the summer of '44, and played a pivotal role in beating back the last uh, great German offensive of the war at the Battle of the Bulge uh, during '44 and '45. By the end of the war in Europe, uh, historian Alex Loveless once records, recorded him as Patton's 3rd Army had fought for nine months since becoming operational, capturing more than 80,000 square miles of territory his army suffered around 137,000 casualties during that time but inflicted more than 1.4 million uh, of that of the enemy that's 10 times when asked which american uh, commander impressed him most during world war ii german marshaled uh, gerd von rundstadt replied Patton was your best he certainly was America's finest fighting commander of the Second World War, but more than that, the name of Patton also belongs with those of Washington, Scott, Lee, and Grant. And he is by far 
the reason I have him at number two on the list. I think the inspirational, just the casualties alone that he inflicted in the in the territory that he fucking was able to take over. Um, he was relentless, relentless, just never stopped pressing and pressing and pressing. And he was right in the middle of the, not like a modern day general. This guy was sitting there right in, right there in the middle of, like Patton was a leader amongst leaders. And I think Michael Savage said it best, uh, the uh, conservative uh, talk show host. In today's society, we need more Patton and less patent leather because today we are a softer nation and if we had more patents leading our military we would be much much better off george s Patton coming in at number two look him up oh i i didn't want to go into the negative side i wanted to write a little bit more about how they tried to take him down after after like all of his brilliant commands because politically he was not savvy <laughs> they they hated him in in washington because he was an outspoken pretty much asshole you know he was a military he was a soldier and he wasn't taking shit from anybody george Patton, number two all right let's light up a quick smoke and we are going to get into our number one and Anybody that's older than fucking 30 years old already knows who this is. Anyone under 30, I'd say probably only 40% even know who he is. Fucking our younger generation is being fucking molded. Either way, coming in at number one, the first president of the United States and the greatest general in American history belongs to the one and only George Mata Chuckin, Washington. In 1775, the delegates of the Second Continental Congress selected Washington of Virginia to lead the newly formed Continental Army against the British Crown. Although he had commanded provincial troops and served beside the British in the French and Indian War, Washington had never led a large army in the field prior to his appointment. In his speech accepting the post, he spoke with a humility that defined his sterling character. I beg it may be remembered by every gentleman in this room that I, this day, declare with the utmost sincerity, I do not think myself equal to the command I am honored with. Uh, No general in American history has ever faced a task as daunting as Washington did during the Revolutionary War. He was far from just building an army from the ground up. Washington had to lead uh, that fighting force composed of citizen soldiers against the most powerful military machine in the world at the time. His task as commander-in-chief was only made harder by the fact that his soldiers were poorly fed, equipped, supplied, and rarely, if ever, paid. He was also... Washington also found a way to keep his army together because he was a citizen soldier himself. He had pl- 
plenty of mistakes along the way, and though the war seemed lost many, many times, he learned to adapt and refused to ever give up. Whether uh, crossing the ice-chalked river, uh, Delaware River, on Christmas night in 1776, that was a desperate pursuit of victory to save the revolution, surviving brutal winters in places like Valley Forge, or overcoming countless other moments of extreme adversity, Washington endlessly persevered with his men for eight long years. Together, they turned the world upside down, delivering the coup de grace to British hopes in America after forcing the surrender of General Cornwallis and his army at Yorktown, Virginia in 1781. A victory led to the recognition of America, America's independence with the Treaty of Paris two years later. Washington regarded America's triumph in the revolution as little, sh uh, little short of a standing miracle. That was one of his quotes. But without him at the helm of the Continental Army, there would have been no miracle at all. Washington was truly the indispensable man of the American Revolution. He set the standard for what it means to be an American general and all who came after him. I mean, that's what it comes down to. He defeated the greatest military force in the world at the time the British, and plenty of, plenty of setbacks. I mean, holding up and, and keeping that army together. And these Remember, these were not trained soldiers. These these were your fucking, you know, cobblers, your shoe fucking, people that made fucking shoes, you know, farmers. And he turned them into soldiers, and, and they believed in a cause, and that was freedom independence from tyranny and without George Washington we don't have a country today we lose I don't know if there was anyone else during that time that could have done it uh, he was an inspiration and the resolve that he must have had in himself I mean he pretty much knew it was a death sentence to lead that army against the crown he had to have known that and to have the wherewithal to see that through and, and gain America's independence. There cannot be a, anyone above him on any list that involves America's greatest generals. I dare you to counter that. That's it, guys. That was, uh, that was some research to get this one done, and I wanted to... Uh, I really wanted to do this one justice because me just spouting off of the hip, that's how I normally do my shows. But this one, this one felt like it needed like real, real concrete evidence and a good little summary of why these generals made America, how great it was up until recent years. And I do hope we can find that, that pride in America again one day. And Biden's doing a hell of a job of unifying the nation, honestly. Because think about this. Think about this. Democrats usually own college-age students. They do. Because they're still, they're still nymphs. They don't really get what's going on in the real world. They've been 
you know, they're 18, they go into college, they still haven't had to pay a thing. And now they're in college, they're still not really paying anything, so on and so forth. But when you have college campuses chanting, let's go, Brandon, man, the Democrats are going to have, demon rats are going to have trouble winning anything. If they can't keep the, the college the college voters on their side, whoo boy, they are in some trouble. And on top of that, these are all institutions of fucking mind control, the colleges are. I'm just being honest. I see it. If you if you don't see it, wake up and smell the fucking coffee beans because it's fucking right there in front of you. It's an indoctrination. Schools are indoctrinating. Time to wake up. But then a lot of people, it seems, are slowly waking up. And I am I am not one to say, oh, Republicans are great. Oh, Republicans are fucktards too. Mitch McConnell can fucking... I, I'd stick a boot up his fucking ass too. We need more people. We need more truck drivers and more construction workers and more restaurant owners and more leaders that are from everyday American uh, from America rise up it's time start running for your local seats it's time fuck these career politicians they all get rich on the back of America's fucking backbone and they could give two flying fucks about you the American citizen and that's on both sides of the aisle let's start getting rid of that's the one thing we could all say about Trump he fucking woke us all up to the fact that these people don't give to, they just don't care. They don't care about the American citizen. They insider trade. They're all filthy fucking rich. They can fucking wear a fucking $100,000 gown to a premier fucking hobnobbing bullshit like fucking AOC and with some fucking bullshit saying on the back and think that they're making a statement which is so, like, so stupid. Like, you know, $10,000 a plate, here I come in my $100,000 dress, but tax the rich. You fucking weirdo, you. Uh, do you understand irony at all? Well, why don't you just go down to the border and look across in these fake fucking photos like you really give two flying fucks covering your eyes oh my god that's unbelievable and there's fucking nothing but desert on the other side you fucking wanker oh god i i can't stand the modern politician that's why democrat or republican i know you have to run on two of the platforms right now i don't care if you're a democrat if you're a democrat fucking like i said truck driver construction worker good I don't care. But if you love America, it's time to start running for I don't care where it starts. Select town selectman. Go ahead and get it. You know, mayor, go ahead and get it. Go after these things because I think we are slowly coming around. Um and and make shit happen. I want to see a uh person I know well. Well, I don't know well, but I know and I've talked to uh Travis from Michigan. I want him to get involved. Uh, you should follow him on uh, on uh, Twitter. I forget. I 
Oh, shit. I said that without even fucking having his Twitter handle available. But follow me on Liquor Listings and uh, message me and I'll, I'll shoot you over to him. But he's just an everyday American. We saw what just happened with the truck driver winning in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Was that New Jersey or Pennsylvania? I forget. I'm just going 100 miles per hour right now because I'm so fucking fired up. But the new generals are us, the everyday American. And it's time for us to rise back, rise up. I don't care about your party affiliation. I just care about you being a normal American citizen that has concerns. Not these fucking wackos that fucking go to school to be politicians. Get those motherfuckers right out of goddamn office because they don't belong there. They're there for money. They're all rich. They're all loaded. They're all into special interest pocket. They're all in somebody's fucking pocket. It's time to rise up and take our government back before we fucking lose it. There it is, guys. That's the show for today. I appreciate you so much to, to for you turning into Liquor Listings. You can go ahead and follow me on Twitter, Liquor Listings. And shoot me a message with any disagreements, any future shows. If you want to come on the show, any topic, nothing's out of bounds. We can do whatever list you want. I, I do them all. I know you love the show. Go ahead, jump over to anchor.fm forward slash Joe Blanche and donate $1.99. That's a fucking cup of coffee, you fucking weirdos, you. $4.99. That's your fucking vanilla chocomoco latte. And if you are feeling generous, $9.99 or above, then go ahead and uh, send that. And because there's probably like a muffin that you can get at Starbucks with that as well. Other than that, thank you all so much for tuning in. Be happy. Smile. I hope you learned something today. Other than that, don't drink and drive. Be a good person. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in to Liquored Listings.